Thank you very much. Um, let me start, as all the other speakers have, by thanking Catherine and Wayne for allowing us to meet here. Um, I know Catherine and Wayne a little bit differently, I think, than most of you do, um, because there's another side to the work of Catherine and Wayne. Um, they are also remarkable philanthropists in their own right, um, and they allow me to do my work, so I'm particularly grateful. Um, the Catherine B. Reynolds Foundation is the largest single donor to the Kennedy Center and has pledged over $113 million um, to us over the last four years. Um, so we're extremely grateful um, to Catherine and Wayne, um, and I personally am, because everything I need to talk about really comes from them and is inspired by them. So thank you very much. Um, I am going to talk about the performing arts, and I was trying to think of a, a follow-on and how my, what I'm going to talk talks follows on from what Ken Baring talked about this morning, and I realized that while so much of his work has nourished the bodies of so many people, our work, we hope, nourishes the souls of many people. And yet it's been a very, very troubling and difficult century so far for the performing arts um, in this country. Um, since the year 2000, there have been 14 orchestras in America have gone bankrupt. Um, and many, many of the major arts institutions are threatened as well. Um, the Metropolitan Opera has had over $30 million of deficit since 2000. The Chicago Lyric Opera, the Chicago Symphony, the San Francisco Opera has had a cut its season by 40%. Um, it's a very, very difficult time for performing arts. Um, many people have thought and have said and speculated that it's because of 9-11 or because of the economy. And I'm not one of those people. Um, I'm actually a great optimist when it comes to the arts. Um, but there's one fact of life in the performing arts uh, which you can't avoid when you run arts organizations, performing arts organizations. And that is, unlike almost any other industry, it's virtually impossible to improve productivity. It's the same number of performers who performed Don Giovanni today as when Mozart wrote it 200 years ago. Um, and when you build a building, you literally set in concrete the number of seats and therefore the revenue potential. I used to run the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, wonderful black dance company, and I took them to the Herodaticus, which is a beautiful Roman amphitheater in the base of the Acropolis in Greece. And we performed in this remarkable site with the Acropolis behind us, and the moon was out, and the audience sits on these benches, um, and these stone benches that were created 2,000 years ago. And my dancers were thrilled, and the audiences were thrilled, and I just stood on the stage saying, they're the same number of seats as when this place was built 2,000 years ago. How do you make it work? <laughs> so it gets harder and harder and harder to run performing arts organizations because costs go up, revenue potential is capped, and how do you make up that difference? This is a bigger problem, believe it or not, outside the United States than inside the United States. Outside the United States, as many of you will know, most of the arts funding comes from the government, but governments across the world, in Europe, in Africa, and Asia, are being forced to cut back on their funding rather substantially. So if you look at the, what's going on in Berlin, for example, one of the bastions of culture, it's, it's really now almost uh, calamity. It's chaos in the cultural world of Germany. Um, in France, major, major problems. In Italy, in South Africa, in China, in Japan. And so I've been working very hard to try and find ways to teach around the world and also within the United States, to create the entrepreneurial zeal, to create the knowledge of how do you build, how do you create excitement in the arts. What I've, what I've studied, and most of my work was with troubled organizations. Apart from the Kennedy Center, all the organizations I ran were about to go bankrupt. So um, 
I learned about why organizations get in trouble. And I believe that what we learn in the arts may have some resonance for those of you who work in academia as well. And what I've noticed is that, and the question was asked this morning, why do liberal people sometimes act so conservatively? And, and I believe that organizations do operate conservatively, and I believe that was, that's what causes great problems for not-for-profit organizations. What I've observed is when a not-for-profit organization hits a little bit of a bump financially, the first thing the board of directors wants to do, and many of the staff leadership want to do, is to contract. And in the performing arts, where we're selling dreams, where we're selling a vision, when you contract, you almost necessarily ensure that the next year you're going to have less resource. Because where arts organizations typically do when they get into a little trouble is they cut back an artistic initiative and they cut back in marketing. And the reason why they cut back in these two areas is because you don't have to fire anyone to do it. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in universities as well, um, because I've seen in other not-for-profits, that you start to cut back on your product because it seems easier. Well, when you cut back on programming and for a performing arts organization, on programming and marketing, what you ensure is you'll have smaller audiences and fewer donors the next year. So you have even less money, and then you cut back even more, and you have even less money, and you start a vicious spiral that really causes a great deal of problems for arts organizations. That's why so many organizations have gone bankrupt. It has nothing to do with 9-11 or with the economy. The answer is to turn this spiral on its head, to take any money you can find and put into wonderful programming and then spending a tremendous amount of energy and excitement to get that programming known to people, have them read about it. And that brings you a little bit more money, a little larger audience, a little bit larger donor base. And then you reinvest that money again in programming and marketing, and you get a larger donor base, and more and more and more. And we've been working very hard to try and train people to think in this truly liberal way, if you will, if we have the opposite of conservative, um, at the Kennedy Center. We've done it in several ways. We started an arts management training institute where we bring 10 or 12 um, young arts administrators from around the world, and they study with us for a year. Many of your universities have arts management programs, and I am afraid to be a little critical, but I think they're just too academic in focus. Um, I believe you have to teach arts management the way you teach medicine. You wouldn't want someone doing an appendectomy on you who just learned in the classroom. Um, I, don't want, I don't want anyone running my arts organization who just learned in the classroom either. So I believe we have to become much more practical in the way we teach this field. So we've been doing that through our Vilar Institute. I have a particular concern for arts organizations of color um, because so many are so small and underfunded. So we've started a new program to teach the leaders of arts organizations of color, African-American, Latino, Asian-American, and Native American organizations around America. And we've been using the computer to do this. I actually run web chats from my desk, and I can teach arts organizations all across America. Um, one of the organizations we've been working with very intensively is the Dance Theater of Harlem, and Catherine Reynolds has recently agreed to serve as chairman of Dance Theater of Harlem, um, which is, I think, very, very wonderful for this great organization. And we've now been taking some of this education outside of America as well. Mr. Bering and several of the speakers this morning talked about China. Um, we, of course, are interested in China as well. Um, China is building opera houses and theaters in record numbers. Uh, unfortunately, there's not one program in China to teach anyone how to run a theater or an opera house. So starting this summer, China will be sending to the Kennedy Center 20 arts administrators every summer to learn how to run arts organizations. We're running a similar program now in Mexico. And I've, I, I took my first trip to Iraq, and I'm hoping to go back to start a program there as well. What we're really trying to do in all of these programs is to teach not-for-profit leaders how to think differently about how you create resources for your organization. And I'm about to start my 
latest venture, which is one that excites me tremendously, which is we're going to start a similar program for board members. Um, because I find that the problems often start with the boards of organizations, with not-for-profit organizations. So we're going to start training board members from around the country um, on how do you think, what really creates success in the not-for-profit world, and how do you truly create revenue, and how do you truly address a financial problem so that you don't make matters worse, but rather you make them better. I'm hoping that other arts organizations will participate in this. We're hoping that other foundations will sponsor this kind of work. And frankly, I'm hoping many of your organizations will start to think differently about the way you teach arts management training so that we really can create a much healthier arts ecology in this country. That's all I was... I had eight minutes, and I hope I did that. Um, This is very well run here. Um, But I'm happy to answer any questions any of you may have. Yes, sir. We uh, did focus groups with graduate students in one town was Dallas, and in Southern Methodist University we encountered a dual major where the student got an MBA and a Master's in Theater Arts. Mm -hmm. Is this a good thing? Yes and no. Um, It's it's better than no education, but here's the real difference. Here's here's the real problem. There's a tremendous difference between the for-profit and the not-for-profit world. And the real difference is about mission. And one of the reasons why you have problems with boards is that people come in from the for-profit world and try to apply for-profit mentality to the not-for-profit world. I'm sure many of you see this in your universities. I always say that in the for-profit world, it's easier because we know what we're for. We are for-profit. In the not-for-profit world, all we know is what we're not for. And therefore, the discussion of mission and the, and the way you create an organization that serves that mission is not just words and it's not just a, a retreat for a bunch of faculty. It's really important. And the problem of joint MBA and arts degrees is that the MBA programs teach the for-profit version and don't teach you necessarily how to modify that for the not-for-profit mission. And therefore, I think it's, it's potentially dangerous, although if it's well taught, it could be, be wonderful. Yes, sir. A couple of questions One is when you're discussing changing academic institutions to train uh, managers, one has to realize what their mission is in terms of a faculty member. That is not to produce people for you, but to do research and theory. I'm just telling you from the academic side. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's the reality. That's how that faculty member moves up the ladder. Okay, producing books and things like that. So it's it's not that they don't want to. It's the way they. That's that's fair. I, I was a professor for six years at New York University. And, and I taught arts management in a program that was meant to turn out people to go out into the field. And I have to say that I almost feel like we did a little more harm than good because what we did was we taught the students a vocabulary so they could interview incredibly well. They could go and they could fool you as a manager to think that they actually knew what they were talking about and they knew the words but they didn't know how to do it. So they could explain what you needed to do in fundraising, but they didn't know how to fundraise. And, and so what I'm hoping to do is for those, and I can't say, for those institutions, 
And I know we have a representative from Yale here, I believe we do. Yale has a wonderful theater program which actually also trains arts managers attaching it to a theater. It's a wonderful way, of a practical way of training people to run theaters. Um, you know, this is something I'm hoping more universities will do. Sure. The second thing is, if one wants to go to the theater, it is at least a $200 evening. Mm -hmm. The price of theater now has skyrocketed. Just like, just like our tuitions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the problem is for most people to go and see Dr. Giovanni or a Broadway show, it's, it's very, very expensive. It is. And it's for exactly the reason I was talking about before, the productivity issues. We have the same number of seats, and the costs go up. Um, enlightened arts administrators do two things. One is they know how to price the house, and what's called scale the house. So there are always prices, ticket prices, at a very wide variety of, of... When I ran the Royal Opera House in London, I actually reduced ticket prices 40% on average because we were such an elitist organization because our pricing kept out most British people, yet the government was putting a lot of money into the opera house. We rescale the house, so you have the people who are paying the highest prices subsidizing those who are paying lower prices. The other things, and the other things that, that enlightened arts organizations do is to do free programming and educational programming in very large amounts. The Kennedy Center this year will spend $18 million in performing arts education programs and is committed to spending $125 million over the next five years in all 50 states. So that we believe, and we also, I should say, the Kennedy Center, which is very unusual, we do a free performance every night at 6 o'clock. If any of you are in Washington, drop by at 6 o'clock. No ticket required because we're trying to bring art to people who might not be able to afford the most expensive seat for the most expensive works. So it is, that is a big challenge, but it comes from the productivity issue. Our costs are going to keep going up, and we may be pricing ourselves out of many markets, and it takes real creativity and entrepreneurial behavior to raise money in larger sums so that you can use those contrib contributed income to subsidize a ticket price. The Kennedy Center this year will raise $52 million from private sources. Um, that's an awful lot of money, and it's directly used to subsidize a ticket price. If we, could, if we were half as successful at at raising money, our ticket prices would be substantially higher, and we would lock a lot of people out. So that's why I'm so concerned about training people to behave in entrepreneurial ways that allow them to bring in substantially more amounts of private funding to allow us to open our doors to many more people. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. I just want to say, <clears throat> having come from the private sector into the educational not private sector, um, how much I lost in what you're going to do with boards of trustees. But one of the comments I would make is um, you, you said that they are thinking in a for-profit way. What I have often found with board members is they know they shouldn't think that way, so they think the way they think they should think, not for profit. <laughs> right. And as I've often said, if they ran their businesses the way they want me to run my shop, They'd be bankrupt. I have, I have two of my board members in this room, so I've got to be very careful with what I say. <laughs> but if I were going to be rude about it, what I would say is that I find that many very sophisticated people leave their brains at the door when they enter the boardroom of a not-for-profit organization. And that's true for universities, I'm sure, as well as true for arts organizations. And it's not a lack of desire, will, commitment, or passion. But I have to then, on the other side, say that we as administrators often 
make it very difficult for board members to be productive. I, I talk about what I call the embarrassment school of, of treating your board. That is, I find that many of your board members may really be passionate about what you do, but unless you behave impeccably, unless everything you do is first rate, unless they are totally relaxed about the way you service them, they won't involve their friends and associates and their corporations in your organization. So a lot of what I do when I'm running an arts organization is to try and not make my board or my donors embarrassed in any way, shape, or form. And I find that sometimes we don't do a good enough job in the not-for-profit world of making our board members feel not embarrassed. And it's astonishing. When I went to the Alvin Ailey organization, and I went there my first you know, few months, and I sat down with each of my board members, and I said, you know, who do you know who could help us? We were about to go bankrupt. And no, none of my board knew anybody. And two years later, when things were better and the deficit was paid off and, and we were running in a much smoother way, all of a sudden that's, those same group of board members knew so many people. They made so many friends in two years. Um, and it's because we had learned, we had developed to the point that they were no longer embarrassed about their support of our organization. And so I believe the, the, the challenge is on both sides of the equation. We also, as not-for-profit people, have to find very, very good and efficient ways of training our board to, to really know what it is to be successful. And I have to be honest and say, I think a lot of not-for-profit executives are not so clear themselves. And, and so until we're very well-educated, until we really know what we're doing, it's going to be very hard for our boards to act in the way we wish them to. Any other questions? Well, thank you very much, and thank you for letting me be here these two days. <laughs> <laughs>